The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thank you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. There were few families as remarkable as the Cushing family during the Civil War. Of the many brave Cushing brothers, we'll hear the story tonight of Will Cushing, most known for the destruction of the CSS Albemarle, the ironclad of the Roanoke River, but also the hero of numerous other exploits before, during, and after the Civil War. We'll learn about them from author Jamie Malinowski and his new book, Commander Will Cushing, Daredevil Hero of the Civil War, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you on a crisp autumn night in October of 2014 from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. But not speaking for the university nor for the History Department or anyone else at ECU. Likewise, my guest will speak only for himself, no other institution. That's how we do it here on Civil War Talk Radio. It has been a uh, interesting week uh, reading the book for tonight's show and also uh, over the last few days having the opportunity to visit 
uh, an old haunt, uh, Berea College in middle of Kentucky, which last weekend held its annual traditional music festival, something uh, I used to attend regularly with uh, an old friend, Eric Zorn, Chicago Tribune uh, columnist. He and I, uh, in, in college days, many, many, many years ago, used to go to the festival every year and uh, play fiddle and banjo tunes and engage in square dancing and otherwise have a jolly time. We decided to go back this year for the first time in, in a while uh, and had a great time. Heard, among other performers, uh, Sparky and Rhonda Rucker doing a a workshop on Civil War era music that was very interesting. If they are ever performing in your neck of the woods, I'd recommend going to hear them. Uh, so uh, a, a great time was had. Uh, over the past week, I also had the uh, very entertaining experience of having my daughter Maria come to class, and uh, during her fall break, uh, she's studying American history or taking an introductory American history course, same course that I'm teaching here at East Carolina. So she sat in and we compared notes how they do things here to how they do things at the flagship in Chapel Hill. And it was uh, interesting to learn. I also got two interesting pieces of email over the, the past week that came uh, uh, at the same time, which was sort of amusing as one of them pointed out that these introductory discussions of what my daughter is up to or her soccer team or uh, what's happening uh, on campus or what the weather's like or what the guests' interest in the Civil War stems from, these do nothing to help teach us about the war itself and could I please get on with it. Uh, and then conversely, the next email said, uh, oh, I have a my son's the same age as your daughter, uh, exploring college opportunities. I'm interested to hear about it. So I guess it depends on, on what the listener's interests are. But uh, I, So I, I hope I don't try your patience too much with the introductory remarks, but they get me into the show. Uh, some people like to hear about them. And those who don't, uh, and I say this meaning, well, actually, since you're not listening, if you don't like it, you've already skipped over it, so I can say this. If you don't like it, skip over it. Uh, most of you uh, who don't want to hear it uh, have already moved on, and you're welcome to do that. But you will miss a few tidbits, which is including some uh, Civil War era news. Uh, one bit is uh, an old uh, friend and colleague in the, the business, Ken Block of Matterhorn Travel, has announced his retirement this week. That's the travel outfit that uh, Jack Mountcastle, our, our most recent guest, and I have both worked for uh, at various times, and uh, uh, the founder of the company has decided it's time to hang it up. Hopefully somebody will pick that up and uh, continue to conduct Civil War tours on the scale that he has done, because they've really been excellent ones, and I, uh, I enjoyed uh, doing them as a lecturer, and I, I know the people who went on them enjoyed them as well. Uh, last week, also, I mentioned uh, a new book by the uh, Hyder sisters on uh, badass beards of the Civil War. The publicist for this uh, book had contacted me and said, do you want to have the authors on the show? And I responded uh, that I don't think there's enough content to talk about beards for an hour program. And got a very nice note back saying, well, you know, maybe 
perhaps not. Uh, but there will be some other things to talk about. And one of them, which I said I would mention, is that they are conducting a contest uh, for, I guess, uh, people today to grow their own Civil War-style beard this November, which is No Shave November, a, a fundraising uh, cause that takes place every year. I'd have to look up to see what the cause is, but I'm sure it's a worthy one. Uh, so if you want to find out what it's about and engage in not growing, not shaving, uh, you can look like me. Indeed, I would guess a fair percentage of the Civil War Talk Radio listenership looks like me, uh, middle-aged, bearded, white male, somewhat overweight, uh, losing some of the hair. There's a lot of us out there. Uh, Anyway, if you're interested in learning about Civil War beards and would like to have the authors on the show, send me an email. Let me know. That would appeal. And we'll have them on sometime in January or February. If I don't hear from uh, from you about that, uh, we'll, we'll let that one ride. You can find out what's going to be on, what shows will be on for sure, by going to www.impedimentsofwar.org where Mark Gaffney keeps things up to date. And we've got the rest of the fall schedule lined up and appearing there. Uh, next week, William N. Still, Jr., Bill Still, the author of uh, Iron Afloat, the story of Confederate armor clads, will be with us to talk about maritime archaeology in the Civil War. On November 5th, Caroline Janey, and her book, Remembering the Civil War, Reunion and the Limits of Reconciliation, will perhaps take some issue with uh, David Blight's standard interpretation on the way northern and southern uh, veterans and, and uh, civilians reunited after the Civil War. November 12th, Michael Stevenson is the author of Civil War in 3D, The Life and Death of the Soldier. And he's written some other interesting books that we'll touch on as well. November 19th, Leslie Gordon rejoins us after many years. She's been on the show before. Her new book, uh, not even out yet, so you'll be the first to hear about it, is A Broken Regiment, the 16th Connecticut's Civil War. Then we'll take a week off for Thanksgiving on November 26th, but we'll be back December 3rd uh, with Nicole Etchison and her book, A Generation at War, The Civil War Era in a Northern Community. It's a community in Indiana, for those who are curious. And it was a listener suggestion that uh, prompted me to look into that and invite Dr. Etchison to join us. And rounding out the fall season on December 10th, Stephen Cushman uh, with a another brand new book, uh, Belligerent Muse, Five Northern Writers and How They Shaped Our Understanding of the Civil War. And I'm keen to get my hands on an advanced copy of this book uh, because the five writers are Lincoln, Whitman, Sherman, Bierce, Ambrose Bierce, and Joshua Chamberlain, uh, four of my favorite writers about the Civil War. I won't say which of those isn't in my top five, but uh, all people who they're they're not just uh, just writers, uh, obviously. Uh, Sherman, Chamberlain are soldiers. Lincoln's the president. Uh, Bierce was a soldier as well, and Whitman served as uh, a nurse uh, during the war. So I'm very much looking forward to that book. And that's what's coming up. Uh, feel free to keep track of it there at 
impedimentsofwar.org. You can also click on the PayPal donation button and send money my way. Always welcome. Uh, it's not a charity. It's not a tax-deductible gift. It's just a gift. Uh, so feel free to do that. It will help contribute to the bandwidth costs at impedimentsofwar.org and uh, to the cost of books when the publishers don't send the advance copy and I have to go out and buy them myself. Oh, the horror. You can buy your books also through the Amazon button at Impediments of War, and that does help everybody. You get the book, the author gets what they get out of it, and the website gets a little piece of the action, so I urge you to do that as well. I don't get anything from that, but uh, do it anyway. It's a good idea. Well, tonight we are talking about uh, a relatively new book, quite new book, Commander Will Cushing, Daredevil Hero of the Civil War. The author is Jamie Malinowski, and uh, hopefully he's here with. Jamie, are you there? I sure am. Welcome back to the show. It has been so uh, much. Uh, three, three years, I believe. Yes, it's been a couple of years, and, um, and um, when you were describing, uh, your typical listener is uh, balding <laughs> and broadening. I spent the last three years doing some of that, so... Uh, uh, and aging, so uh, that's. That, but I also wrote this book, so it wasn't well, uh, all uh, a waste of time. Well, well, very good to hear that. And you've also continued the uh, disunion series in the New York Times that you uh, uh, edit that you're the impresario for. Right? Well, sure I, I don't want to take too much credit for that. I worked on that uh, in the early days, and then um, it's been passed on. I continue to make contributions to it, but um, I'm. Um, I'm not the uh, big producer of it that I was uh, at the beginning. Well, that, when the war started, started, I thought it would get too complicated to keep up. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I, uh, I uh, lessened my load. It, and listeners can find out uh, about that from our uh, our conversation you and I had uh, back in 2011 when you were when you were indeed uh, running that enterprise. The uh, uh, which I, I went back and listened to that show just so I wouldn't ask you all exactly the same questions, and uh, I was, you know, horrified to find out that was the day uh, that our department, uh, the department heads here at ECU, got word of an impending enormous budget cut uh, that came across my email just minutes before the show, and I was sort of shell shocked. Uh, when our interview began, and I'm happy to say this week, uh, no such bad news. Three uh, percent cut this year feels like a holiday uh, <laughs> compared to what we were getting in those days. Uh, so, so only happy talk tonight. All right. Uh, well, you, you, I'm curious about this project. You, you say in the, uh, uh, you said when we talked last time, and you say in, in the introduction uh, here, you know, you're not professionally a historian but this story drew you in and you you wanted to write about it what what brought you to this story of uh, uh will cushing well i have literally been interested i've literally known about will cushing since i was eight years old um in january 18 1961 life magazine began a six-part series uh, marking the centennial of the war and in its, the first of the six issues, they had commissioned uh, magazine illustrators to, uh, to to do paintings or drawings of various interesting moments um, 
uh, and some were big battles and some were smaller events. But they were, um, they were all marvelous pictures. And um, as you'll recall, Life magazine was one of the big outsized magazines, almost the size of a tabloid newspaper. And these pictures ran either full page or across a spread. And I was just totally absorbed by them. And they had one that showed uh, Will Cushing, uh, you know, confronting the Albemarle. And it was, it was by the artist C.E. Monroe. Um, and it was, it was just captivating. And I, you know, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but I felt like I spent a long time, uh, you know, in my parents' basement looking at these paintings, and particularly the one of the Albemarle. And, um, and so, you know, I followed it away, and I knew his story, and, you know, later on I did more reading about him and so on. But, um, you know, uh, just kind of lost, it wasn't in the forefront of my mind, but a couple of years ago I began looking for a new subject to write about, and I remembered this incredible tale, of a, a real David versus Goliath tale, and I began to look into it, and there hadn't been a biography of him in 50 years, and I thought, well, you know, um, let's try to, to update it. And so I um, uh, persuaded W.W. W. Norton to uh, let me do it, and, and uh, we published the book this week. Wow. So we're, we're very timely here. Listeners will be the, the first ones to be able to go out and get this. The, uh, the illustration you mentioned uh, appears on the cover of the book. I'm looking at it right now, and I also remember it from that Life magazine. Uh, they did a, a separate publication, the, the magazine size piece. That's about right. It was just about the Civil War. It wasn't a magazine. And it had that that painting in it. And I can also remember looking at it, the uh, the moment when the the cannon on the Albemarle fires at the same time the torpedo is ignited. It was, it's incredibly dramatic and and not a story that, that's exceptionally well-known uh, outside the ranks of those who, who follow the Civil War. Well, what we'll do is find out about uh, Cushing's story up to that dramatic moment. Uh, we're going to take a short break and come right back and talk more this evening with our guest, Jamie Malinowski, author of the brand new book, Commander Will Cushing, Daredevil Hero of the Civil War. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to Prokopovich G at ECU.edu. That's P R O K O P O W I C Z G at ECU.edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Jamie Malinowski, author of Commander Will Cushing, Daredevil Hero of the Civil War. We talked a bit in the first segment about the, uh, the, the Life magazine centennial series and the painting of Cushing and the Albemarle that uh, triggered uh, Jamie's interest and mine and, and that of many others in this character. Uh, the, the most striking thing when... when starts reading this book, at least to me, is how young uh, Will Cushing was. He he was still in the Naval Academy, or, or just, well, well, what, tell us about his Naval Academy career, and, and, and how old was he, and, and, and let's get some background on this fellow. He was born in November uh, 1842, so that he was um, uh, 18 when the war started, uh, not, not yet 19, and uh, he and he was just 21, not yet 22, when he sank the Albemarle on October 28th, 1864. We're coming up on the sesquicentennial of the event, um, and um, he was um, he, he he was one of five children. His father had uh, five children by a first wife. Who died, and then he, or six children by first wife, and then he remarried, and he had five more children by uh, Will's mother. Uh, and um, then the doctor, who was evidently more prolific than healthy, died when Will was age five. Will was the uh, third of that set of five. Uh, he, and, um, the father died when Will was five, and so they moved. The, the family moved from Delafield, Wisconsin, to Fredonia, New York. And the mom ran a school, and um, Will was just this um, uh, highly active, uh, energetic, adventuresome, uh, quick with his fists. Uh, he was the kind of kid who would. Uh, uh, delight and dismay you, uh, if not at the same time, then in rapid suge- su- succession. 
He was uh, constantly getting into scrapes and trouble, um, but not in a mean way necessarily. You know, uh, he was just um, the kind of guy who would um, he play pranks on people. And and uh, I had a you know spoke before a group the other day and said, well, today he'd be diagnosed as AHD and be given drugs to calm him down. And um, but he was this really high-spirited kind of guy, and in a way that personality continued on to Annapolis. Um, although the family was not rich, it did have some political connections, and uh, an uncle who, um, a cousin of the family who was a high-ranking officer in the Navy, commandant of the Washington Navy Yard, got Will into Annapolis, and his uh, brother, Alonzo, into um, West Point. And um, and Will was the not only the youngest in his class, he remained the youngest midshipman in Annapolis until his third year, uh, which I think kind of, um, you know, it, it, it must have created issues for him. I mean, not, you know, grave psychological issues, but a kind of, I have to figure out how to make myself stand out. Um, Annapolis was a... Uh, a grind. Uh, George Dewey, who preceded Will by a year or two, just said it was just, you know, a, a, just a grind of a place that uh, it was full about filling your head with knowledge. There were no, there was no gymnasium. There were no athletic teams. There was nothing. Occasionally, they'd let the boys go out and row on the Severn River. But um, so you can imagine uh, just how that would have that, that would impact a, a boy of any age in any era but particularly one as high-spirited as Will. And so he became a big prankster. He was a consistent underachiever. Everyone knew he was very smart, but he never really pushed himself in any of his courses and just kind of kept skating by. And um, eventually this um, caught the attention of the commandant of cadets, the number two man at the academy. And this, this man was named uh, was Lieutenant Rogers, and he was very uh, determined to try to change the culture of the Navy and begin changing it at the Naval Academy. The Navy at that time was full of dead wood. The top uh, uh, officers were all men who began their career careers as cabin boys in the War of 1812. And many of them had grown, you know, obese, had grown uh, lazy, had become alcoholics. You know, the, the saying that was prevalent in the Navy is that he's a good officer when he's not drinking. Um, and it was there, uh, the seniority system was preventing younger, energetic officers from moving up. And so Rogers was determined to change the culture among the midshipmen. And he could tell right from the beginning that Will Cushing was just not the kind of guy he wanted in the Navy of the future. And in Will's senior year, he. Um, got he failed his Spanish midterm, and essentially Rogers used that as a pretext to uh, engineer his uh, dismissal from the Navy, which kind of uh, shocked a lot of people because usually you would get kicked out of the Naval Academy if you had 200 demerits. Will did not have 200 demerits yet. Uh, you'd get kicked out if you were failing a subject like gunnery or navigation or uh, you know uh, seamanship the things that were really key to the development of a naval officer. Nobody got kicked out for failing Spanish. And yet, here it was, 
seven states had seceded from the Union. About uh, a third of the officer corps was uh, out or on its way of going south, and yet they decided to fire Will, dismiss Will, because he had failed his Spanish test. This may be because I'm coming at it from a a higher education standpoint, but as I was reading that, uh, and and, and that's the opinion you expressed in the book, uh, I was thinking, well, hey, he did fail the course, and he doesn't have 200 demerits yet, but he's awfully close. He's piling them up. He's clearly a troublemaker. He's clearly not... Uh, you know, not what, what the, the, the commandant and his staff are looking for. Uh, maybe I'm sympathizing with the wrong guys, but I can see why he got kicked out. Uh, you can sort of see why he got kicked out. Um, you know, in the words of Richard Nixon, I gave him the sword they used it on me. But, um, uh, you know, when after he got kicked out, he went and appealed to the Secretary of the Navy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, and and uh, Secretary Wells, who was the father of three sons, essentially later said in his memoir, it was evident that this was a good kid who was just, um, uh, you know, bored. Mm-hmm. You know, and he he was so eager to do something that he would just get himself, you know, he would go out and get in trouble. And um, and I and I think that that was it, it was interesting that uh, you know Wells could see that. Um, Will knew, um, there was an, an officer who taught Will Gunnery, which is this course that Will did the best in, a guy named Flusser. And the thing that was interesting about Flusser is that he, after Will left the academy, he gave Will a book called Naval Enterprise. Just a little book. It was essentially for uh, uh, kids, 10-year-old guy, you know, guys, you know, boys, because it had all these illustrations and it was all about these inspirational, you know, Deeds of daring do, but Flusser understood Will's character. That essentially you couldn't make Will do anything, but you could inspire him to do almost you know, to do extraordinary things. And and so I think that this was a Rogers had a grave misreading of Will's character, and um, and you could you could see that. Uh, I mean, I, I think he, Rogers was really using Will to make a point. And um, and I don't I, I can't say it was a wrong point, but I don't think it was a particularly insightful uh, you know decision on his part. Well, it it, it certainly doesn't work out that way. If yeah, we were to go the through part about my analysis. <laughs> If if we were to go through each of uh, Will Cushing's adventures, we would be on the air for uh, four or five hours. So let me ask you: when when do you when when does he start to show uh, that it's a good thing the family had strings to pull? That it's a good thing he was able to be reinstated. What when does this first start to emerge? It really emerges most clearly in the fall of eighteen sixty two. After he rejoins the Navy, he's still kind of mixed up about things. He's, he gets uh, assigned to a ship. He engages in, uh, you know, a combat mission in uh, in North Carolina, uh, and uh, is excited and kind of does well. But then he also is bored at being on blockade duty, and he kind of envies his brother Alonzo, who's been at Bull Run, and 
Will thinks maybe I could leave the uh, Navy. It's it just the sort of stupid way 18-year-olds fantasize about things. You know, maybe I could leave the Navy and then go to West Point and then go and join the Army and serve with Alonzo. And it's just this, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, silly thinking that young people are susceptible to. Old people, too, but, you know. <laughs> you get some of it out of your system at least when you're 18, and um, and but he finally works his way through this, and eventually then uh, starts to straighten himself out. When the Navy expands, they really need officers. They they get him promoted to lieutenant, and he joins um, uh, Charlie Flosser again on a ship and um, uh, a gunboat in, in that's serving in the. Hampton Roads area, and um, and then the big, they they go on a um, they get an assignment to go down uh, to the uh, Blackwater River, and um, an army is supposed to advance against a Confederate position, and their sh- their ship is going to go behind it on the Blackwater River, and the idea is to uh, trap the rebels between the two forces. So they take the, uh, you know, they they go along the Blackwater, which is uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it is a snaky river that's full of bends and curves, and uh, you know a lot of times they had to get out and tie ropes around trees and pull the boat along through these curves and so forth. And at a certain point they get caught, and as it turns out, the uh, army force that's supposed to be advancing against the Confederates never bothered to leave. And so this large force of Confederates uh, was able to turn its attention completely on this gunboat. And, you know, the gunboat is not, it's got a couple hundred guys on it at most, so um, they're very badly outnumbered as these Confederates come across and uh, begin firing at them on the riverbank, from the riverbank to to, uh, where they're trapped. And... um, Will realizes, and all the men are cowering behind things and protecting themselves against the gunfire. And then they don't, as sailors, they don't even have, uh, you know, rifles to fight back with. And Will realizes that what they have, uh, they they are carrying supplies that they're supposed to give to the uh, armed forces to the to the army when they meet up with them, and um, and they have tied up there a howitzer. And so he steps out under fire and, without uh, regard to his own safety, cuts the cannon loose and um, loads it up and fires it and uh, clears the shore of uh, the, the rebel soldiers who are advancing. And, um, and that's the first time Will is specifically mentioned in reports for his, you know, kind of quick thinking and uh, conspicuous bravery. And... and uh, he continues to work with uh, Flusser for about two months on that ship, and um, and really at the end of that time, that sort of uh, you know skylarking hijinks will is is gone, and he's a real naval officer at the end of that time, and he gets an independent command and goes on to have many other adventures. Shows himself to be a real prodigy at behind the scenes warfare. Goes on raids. Uh, you know, um, and has a lot of very showy adventures, including capturing um, 
raiding a Confederate headquarters and just missing capturing the officer in charge so he captures his adjutant. Otherwise, that would be a raid that would rank right with Mosby's, um, you know, uh, capture of the Union general. Um, so it, uh, you know, he really has a lot of, uh, you know, exciting uh, kind of raids that uh, anticipate today's uh, SEALs, I think. You mentioned uh, his brother Alonzo fighting at First Bull Run, and uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners have seen in the news within the last uh, month or two the story of uh, Alonzo Cushing being awarded the Medal of Honor. Uh, right. Th- this, uh, that must have been interesting for you since, since obviously you'd written the book by that time. Uh, how... We just we'll take just a minute before a break here. How did that come about? Uh, uh, again, listeners who who follow the story may know that he, he uh, that Alonzo Cushing was killed at Gettysburg, and uh, is being recognized today, uh, 150 years later, for that. Uh, did you follow that story as you were writing that that there was this campaign to to get him? Uh, I knew about that, and. Uh and he that it was such a long campaign to get him the Medal of Honor that um, uh, he Alonzo had been approved by various um, you know bodies that had to pass on this. So um, uh, for a while, frankly, I thought he had gotten it, and then I realized when I read the paper, oh, the, the White House actually actually put the final stamp of approval on it. So I was aware of that, but. Uh, you know, the, as I understand from the newspaper accounts, the, it was begun by a long time ago by Senator Proxmire, who was, you know, it's been a long time since he's been in office. Yeah. And and, um, and there was a, a woman in Wisconsin where the Cushings were born uh, who really kind of really led that campaign. Um, so uh, it, it is, a, again, a remarkable family that... Uh, you know, in in the same month, 150 years later, uh, one of them is is finally getting recognition and a Medal of Honor earned at Gettysburg, and another one is a subject uh, of the book for single-handedly destroying one of the most uh, important ships in the Confederate Navy, uh, as you've done here. And they have the poor brother Howard, who uh, ranks third in the family, who was a you know a, a heroic indian fighter widely admired in arizona after the war he had done service throughout the civil war as a, as an artillery uh, in, in the artillery became an artillery officer and became a lieutenant in the cavalry and died fighting the apaches and is widely admired out west but no one talks about him at all he's like a distant third in the family boy that that's some tough competition no uh, kidding <laughs> well we're going to come back uh, again we'll take another short break and talk about what happened uh, with the the Confederate ram Albemarle and that that centerpiece of the story although it's just one of many stories in this uh, very interesting book our guest tonight is Jamie Malinowski the book is Commander Will Cushing Daredevil Hero of the Civil War I'm Jerry Prokopovich and this is Civil War Talk Radio Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich talking with Jamie Malinowski about his new book, Commander Will Cushing, Daredevil Hero of the Civil War. The most famous of Cushing's many exploits was the destruction of the CSS Albemarle, uh, which today, if you go to Plymouth, North Carolina, on the Roanoke River, you can see a three-eighth scale uh, replica that will uh, sail up and down the river and discharge its mighty ordinance at selected times during the year. It doesn't do it every day. Uh, But even at three-eighths scale, it's still uh, 63 feet long. It's it's pretty darn big uh, and gives an impression of of what the original must have been like. Um, The the first question many people might rationally ask uh, if they're they're new to the story is, how did the Albemarle get there? Uh, Plymouth is, is pretty remote now, and it was really remote then. Uh, there's no big seaport. Uh, where'd they build it? They built it in a in a, a cornfield along the Tar River near Tarboro, uh, which I guess is just uh, two shakes and a jump from where you are. That's uh, right. Uh, and um, and then they brought it down uh, down to Plymouth um, along the Roanoke. Uh, you know after. Uh, the, in the Confederate Navy and uh, the Secretary of the Confederate Navy, Stephen Mallory, was probably the most progressive institution in the Confederacy. Uh, Mallory had no ships when he took over, uh, and so he became immediately interested in um, in, in finding um, things that we uh, instru- weapons of asymmetrical warfare, as we would say now. So he invested heavily in mines. He that uh, invested heavily in um, he pursued the submarine, and he 
got really behind the ironclads. And uh, he was delighted with his initial experience with the Virginia. But about a month after the Battle of the Monitor and the Merrimack, the Confederacy lost the Norfolk, uh, and so they lost the big uh, Navy Yard there. And um, and so he had to kind of, uh, you know, decentralize his, his shipbuilding. And he, he went all over the Confederacy and had people building ironclads. And most of them proved to be duds. Um, you see one of the bigger duds on the Noose River, uh, the CSS mm. Noose, which That's never right. did anything. But, um, uh, but he hired a, a boat builder out of Elizabeth City, North Carolina, named Gilbert Elliott, who had aptitude at this. And Elliot, uh, his his shipyard was lost when uh, when the Federals occupied Elizabeth City, but he went up river and uh, went to work there, and he was uh, helped very much by a, a captain, uh, John Cook, uh, who was called the Ironmonger Captain because he went all over the place in North Carolina, and any place he found a bent nail that wasn't being used for anything, he brought it back and. They rolled it into the um, to the to the to the uh, sheets of metal that protected the ship, and um, and they built a pretty good ship, um, and uh, they brought it downriver in April of 1864 in time to participate in the assault on um, Plymouth. Um, when the ship showed up, the Union garrison gave up because they just knew that they would be shelled to pieces. Um, the Amaro had only two big guns, two broke rifles and a ram, but it was so powerful and so large and such a beast that, um, you know, it it uh, intimidated people. When it arrived, before it participated in the uh, uh, attack on Plymouth, uh, it was met by two federal gunboats um, that tried to stretch a net between and capture the Albemarle. Um, the Admiral went in, rammed one, uh, sank it immediately. Uh, the other, um, the captain of the other ship kept firing at it until one of the shells bounced right off of the, all the shells bounced off, but one of them bounced right off of uh, the iron side and fell at his feet and blew up and killed him. That man was Charlie Flusser, Will's mentor. Mm. Um so, uh, so right away it had a reputation, and uh, two weeks later, um, the uh, Braxton Bragg, the chief of uh, Confederate forces in North Carolina, said, "Why don't we send uh, the Albemarle up the Newburn River and have them, you know, capture Newburn and do the same, you know, work the same plan that worked at Plymouth?" And um, as the Albemarle got down close to Albemarle Sound. Uh, ten federal ships ambushed it. I guess they knew it was coming. And they fought all afternoon to essentially a draw. The federal weapons were harmless, I mean, you know, to stop the, the Albemarle. One federal ship uh, revved up and rammed it, did no damage. The only, thing, the, only, the, the only real damage they were able to do was shoot away the uh, Albemarle smokestack, put holes in the smokestack, which made its engines draw inefficiently and really slowed it up. And so the Albemarle had to pull back. Um, but this hugely demoralized the Union fleet. 
and um, and and they were just you know we have nothing that can stop this ship, and they began to contemplate. They contemplated all kinds of alternatives, trying to get a monitor. You know the the federal ironclads. Uh, one of them down the river, he couldn't get over the uh, sandbars, and so they couldn't bring it in. They thought maybe we could build one. They couldn't get the equipment in. They, um, the only thing that they ended up thinking they could do is what they regarded as a suicide mission, which is uh, send a force up to uh, blow it up with a torpedo. And that's when our man, Will Cushing, comes into the story. So he's he's he draws the short straw, as it were. He gets to attempt a suicide mission to uh, uh, to blow it up. Uh, the in the interest of uh, getting more people to take a look at this book, we'll we'll save the spoiler. Uh, people who look at the cover see that the the torpedo does go off. Uh, but what I want to I mean, Cushing is, is ultimately successful. It's a very dramatic story, very well told, uh, and, and worth reading about. But I want to skip ahead in our last uh, five minutes or so and ask you, uh, I mean, first of all, this is not the end of Cushing's adventures. He continues to fight in other uh, campaigns in the war at Fort Fisher and elsewhere. But after the war, his career in the Navy is fairly short, and he dies at an early age, uh, yes. at the age of 32. And in it, after some kind of chronic illnesses or injuries that, that trouble him, uh, right at the very end of his life, he, he loses his mind and uh, has to be institutionalized and then dies shortly afterwards. My question to you uh, is the topic you touch on in your epilogue. Um, how should we remember someone like Cushing who undertakes all these incredibly daring adventures, these suicide missions, uh, always the first to volunteer, and uh, you know, seems to have no regard for his own safety or those uh, who work with him, and yet pulls it off one, one time after another. Uh, you... you make the point that psychologically the line between being a hero and a psychopath uh, can be quite narrow. Uh, How do we think of someone like Cushing then? I think we marvel at him. You know, I I think uh, the thing where the hero and the psychopath overlap is that they have little disregard for their safety, their high risk takers, and they don't really particularly care necessarily what people think of them. Um, you know, the, the same kind of person becomes your astronaut, becomes an investment banker, you know, uh, just takes these sort of large risks. And so they are sort of larger-than-life people, um, and they therefore are difficult to, you know, uh, fathom in some ways because most of us, try to stay in a happy middle, you know, where we don't take too many risks and we don't expose ourselves to great dangers. And um, uh, so I think, you know, the thing is just to kind of marvel at this man as a pretty wonderful example of uh, part of our species that we don't see that often. 
mean, a, a fellow asked me the other night at this uh, when I was speaking the other night. You know, uh, he was he a very good officer. He never seemed to have a, a backup plan. I said, no, he never really did have a backup plan. He was always sure he was going to succeed, <laughs> and and he did. You know, that was you know a, again and again you see him going straight at uh, the enemy, and um, and the enemy flees. So you know, all you know. You, there are a lot of people like that, but one day, one of them is George Custer, and he runs into you know a <laughs> big army of Sioux, and it ends up badly. Um, so you know it doesn't always work, but in Cushing's case, it worked again and again and again. And in a way, uh, you know, the it, it was a sort of, certainly a tragedy for him and his family that he died so young. But you really do kind of just as a someone who's interested in in. In, in life and the lives of great people, you wonder what would have happened to him later. I mean, how, what else would have happened to him? The well, Navy got pretty know, boring in the second half of the 19th century. It, it, uh, it's, it's hard to see that he would have enjoyed that for very long. You write about his role in the, the Virginius affair, which one really has to be a, a student of 19th century U.S. history to have more than a passing familiarity with. I admit I had to look it up right. uh, to remember the, the details, but a uh, short version of a ship supporting Cuban rebels is captured by the Spanish, and the people on board, whether they're Cuban rebels or British or American citizens, are executed by the Spanish uh, leaders in Cuba, and both Britain and the United States don't like this. And Cushing is the man on the scene, and, and you describe how he's the one who goes and stares down the uh, the, the Spanish general and, and makes this come to a stop. In a, in a complete Clint Eastwood moment. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's a Clint Eastwood moment come real. He just, he just goes in and, as you say, stares him down, refuses to shake his hand, embarrasses the guy, uh, this butcher, as he's known. Uh, and um, and humiliates him, and the guy leaves town the next day uh, before Will can open fire. And it's uh, it's kind of astonishing that uh, once again he goes straight at him, and he uh, sends the enemy packing. And, and you know, you you can picture. He, I mean, he's got no fear. He's 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 the guy who set off a bomb under the Albemarle 10 feet away, uh, he's not going to be afraid of this uh, you know, blowhard in a fancy uniform who executes innocent people. Uh, so, but, but he has no fear of anything, uh, as, as your book shows. Um, yeah. And it kind of, you know, the, the, I want, you know, after the Civil War, big demobilization, there's not as many ships, there's not as many assignments, there's not as many adventures. It's hard to actually... Um, you know, there's less written about him, and you wonder, um, though, whether he was showing after effects of the war. You know, I think after his brother Howard died, he, it was said that he was depressed for about a year, mm. and it might have even lasted longer. And his own chronic uh, pain, which we don't really know what that was. It could be an infection. It could have been a tumor. Or, you know, we really don't know, but it it was slowing him up and. And you just wonder uh, whether he got a lot of assignments at, at uh, Navy bases, you know, uh, you know, land-based assignments, which he was due because he essentially spent the whole war, you know, on on board ship, 
So it, it was not unusual. But you wonder whether the Navy was somehow protecting him. His colleagues were somehow insulating him uh, as he perhaps, you know, uh, felt more melancholy or, or felt or became somewhat disabled. Well, it, it's There's no real uh, proof, but you kind of wonder. You can't help but wonder. No, no, you can't. And as you say, there's no proof. There's no way to know the answer to that. Uh, but listeners can certainly speculate on that and, and find out more about this just really fascinating character, uh, Commander Will Cushing. That's the name of the book. The subtitle is Daredevil Hero of the Civil War. And its author is Jamie Malinowski, who's been our guest this evening. And Jamie, unfortunately, we're out of time. But thank you so much for telling us about this uh, incredible character. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. (laughs) 